Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us or subscribe using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. Thank you to Oscar for sending a super thanks from YouTube. And if you are watching uh, this on YouTube, you can send a donation directly from the video by clicking that dollar sign button. Uh, you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of Dragnet. The original air date, July the 14th, 1949. This one is Production 6, and it's also known as The Red Light Bandit. Let's take a listen. <laughs> story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. A ruthless fiend roams the streets of your city masquerading as a police officer. For months, helpless citizens have been robbed, beaten senseless, and kidnapped. The criminal is a twisted genius, vicious, cunning. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files, from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, June 4th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from communications, and it was 11.13 p.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Oh, hi, Joe. Hi, Ben. Did you get that message to call home? Yeah, bad news. What's the matter? That doggone kid of mine, chicken pox. Oh, again? Last year it was the mumps. Year before that, the measles. Every time I get set for a vacation, he decides to catch something. Well, forget it, Ben. Think what a comfort he's going to be in your old age. Go ahead, laugh. You'll find out. Yeah. How are you, Friday? Romero? Fine. What can we do for you? You don't look like you remember me. Oh, no, wait a minute. Name's Savage, isn't it? George? It's Johnny, Sergeant. Johnny Savage, remember now? Oh, sure. Those liquor store robbers out in the Wilshire district. About six, seven years ago, wasn't it? Ten years, Romero. You ought to remember that. You were at the trial. We testify in court every week. Ten years is a long time. It's longer in the state pen. It's a lot longer. 
Yeah, you cried a little at that trial, didn't you, Savage? You said we beat that confession out of you. Yeah, that's why I figured I'd drop in for a little visit. I kind of apologize to you fellas. You gave me a square deal. I guess I kind of lost my head. I figured I'd apologize. Oh, that's all right, Savage. When'd you get out? A couple of weeks ago. I did it the hard way. Served ten flat. I don't know my day. You find a job yet? Yeah, Friday. I'm working nights. What kind of a job? Laborer in a warehouse, south end of town. Good. You decided to level? Ten years in prison's a long time. You learn a lot of things. Nights are long, you think a lot. You get things straightened out. I hope you mean that. Sure I mean it, Friday. I've got everything straightened out. I know who my friends are, and I know who to watch out for. You sound like maybe you're on the right track. I got a figure, Romero. I like you two fellas. You caught me red-handed, and you sent me up for ten years. Well, you did all right, Savage. Five armed robberies. You got off pretty easy. You got a break, Savage. Make the best of it. Sure, I'm not kicking. Ten years, a real break. That's right. Well, <laughs> I just dropped in for a little visit. Maybe I'll see you fellas sometime. All right, Savage. Keep your nose clean. Sure. No hard feelings. No. You just took ten years of my life, that's all. There's no such thing as a man going through prison without changing. And Ben and I have seen him switch in both directions. Some men learn their lesson after they land behind bars, and when they're released, they turn into good citizens. Johnny Savage was sour. We made a mental note to check him out later on, and then we went down to the record bureau and pulled his coming out mug. That's about all we had time for, because about an hour later, we started to get busy. Hot shot, Joe. Grab it. Yeah. On the corner of Selma and Naples, the drugstore, 211 and probable attack. On the corner of Selma and Naples, 211 and... Pro- what you got, Joe? Selma and Naples, 211 and attack. Come on. Here we are, Joe. Over there on the far corner. Yeah. All right. Come on. We got the story from the victim, the store owner, Mr. Thomas. For the most part, it was the usual rundown of an early morning holdup. There was only one exception. Oh, I've had young hoodlums try to hold me up before, but there was nothing like this one. How you mean, Mr. Thomas? Well, he came in here just before closing, and ordinarily I'd have kept an eye out because that's the time to look for him. But this fellow came to the door and said he was a policeman, so I let him in. He looked like a cop. Barged right up to me and the wife behind the counter and pointed a gun. And she screamed, and he hit her in the face with the butt of the gun. Sergeant, it was horrible. That's the way it started, and that's the way it kept going. Because most of the victims and most people don't realize that as a citizen, they have the right to check on police officers' identification when in doubt. After we got the story from Mr. Thomas and checked the store in the neighborhood, Ben and I headed back for the office. Attention, all units. At the end of North Baxter Road near Hillcrest, victim of 211 and slugging... Car 7172, take the call. Code 3. Attention, all That's units. four blocks away from the last one. Let's roll on it, huh, Ben? Right, I'll hit the siren. You get the light. By the time Ben and I got up to the end of North Baxter, the men from car 71 were already there. The victim was telling his story. His face looked like it had been through a meat grinder. Now, we're just shifting the car into second to make the hill when I hear this siren behind me and I, I see this red light flashing in the side view mirror. Well, naturally, I pulled over to the curb, and 
I was just reaching for my driver's license when the cop runs up, yanks me out of the car, and starts clubbing me in the face with the butt of his gun. Did you get a look at him? Think you can describe him? No, I'm afraid not. He swung me around and kept me staring into that red light on his car all the time he was beating me. After a while, everything just went black. When I woke up, my wallet was gone, all my money's... Forty-five minutes later, Ben and I were interviewing the third victim, a young housewife out in the Wilshire district. Same trademark. I tried to tell him, Sergeant. I tried to tell him I didn't have any money, but he wouldn't listen. He kept holding me by the throat, beating me with his fist like he enjoyed it. Beating me. Beating me. Yeah, all right. All right, Mrs. Jameson. Could you tell us how he got in the house? He came in the front door and rang the bell. I opened the door, but I left the burglar chain on. He said he was a policeman. So when he demanded I open the door all the way, I did. Then he grabbed me. And you, can't describe the man for us, Miss Jameson? He was tall, and he had dark hair and big hands. It was like a nightmare. Tall, dark hair, big hands. Your guess the same as mine, Joe? Maybe. Let's wait and see. Come on, let's check with the boss. Hi, Mike. Hi. He's waiting for you. In there. Come on, Ben. Chief of Detectives Office. Hannon. Sit down. Yeah, Skipper. All right, you two. Let's have it. The guy with the red light? Yes, the guy with the red light posing as a policeman. Why hasn't he been picked up? You know as much about it as we do, Ed. We got our first call around midnight. He knocked over a drugstore out on Selma. He hasn't stopped working since. Didn't you get any definite lead on him? No description? No license number? Nothing. He's tall, big hands, dark hair. That's all. Fine. Either of you got any ideas? Could be anybody, Skipper, with that description. You're sure it wasn't anybody on the force? We sent all the victims down to personnel. Lowry showed him the mug book of all police officers. Wasn't one of our men. Works fast. Drugstore, motorist, a pedestrian, a housewife out in the Wilshire district. Went right in the house after her. Four of them, right in a row. Five. Huh? There's a 20-year-old kid in the next room. Came in just before you got here. A couple of hours ago, he was sitting in a car with his girl up in Mulholland Drive. This red light bandit comes along, slugs him, and kidnaps the girl. Kidnap? She still miss? Not a trace. When did this happen? A couple of hours ago. They brought the kid over from Georgia Street Hospital. We can talk to him now. He's had a bad time. Right in here. Okay. Pete, we're going to have to ask you a few more questions. Oh, yeah. Okay. It feels a little better now. This is Sergeant Friday and Sergeant Romero. Hi, Pete. Hi. Can you tell us what time the trouble started? Oh, about... 10.15, 10.30. Sally and I were sitting in the car talking about where we were going on our honeymoon. We're going to be married next month. And then this car pulls up behind us and starts flashing a red spotlight on us. And a guy runs over and pulls open the door. He said he was a cop. Did you get a good look at his car, Pete? I think it was a black sedan. Did you get a look at the man, Pete? No. No, I didn't. It was pretty dark and... He kept me staring into that red spotlight. It all happened so fast. Then he started slugging me, and I went down. What happened then? Well, the next thing I knew, Sally was screaming. He had one hand on her throat, and he had her backed up against the side of the car. He was beating her with the other hand. Some kind of a short billy club. I got up, and I started for him, and he slugged me again. When I came to, Sally was gone. Anybody check the area up there, Ed? Yeah, Davis and Griffin. Couldn't find a thing. Oh, Sergeant, you gotta find it. You got to. 
I wouldn't know what to tell her folks. I, I wouldn't know what to say. That's all right, Pete. We'll find her. You take it easy. Got a hot shot, Ed, up in Summit Road near Westmore. A woman, unconscious, ambulance follow-up, possible dead body. Uh, all right, Hannon. Look after Pete here. Friday, Romero, let's go. Up ahead, Romero, to the right. Okay, Skip. Yeah, there's the ambulance and the cruiser car. You're a lonely-looking spot. All right, come on. Hiya, Doc. What'd you find? Hiya, fellas. Right over here. Just gonna take her in. Uh, where'd you find her? Over there, by the side of the road. Somebody driving by us saw her. They called us. Any identification? This bracelet on her wrist. Mm, to my dearest Sally and Pete. December 25th, 1947. That's a girl, all right. What are the chances, Doc? I wouldn't bet on them. Pretty bad shape. Well, have you seen enough? Yeah. Friday, Romero, call the crime lab and check the area for footprints and tire tracks. I'll ride back in the ambulance with the girl. If she regains consciousness, I want to talk to her. All right? Okay, Ed. I'll meet you in the office by 8.30. We're working straight through till we get this guy. See you at the office, Giver. What time you got, Ben? Seven minutes to four. Long night. Hey, that car up there ahead. Let's take a look at it, huh? Mm, black sedan. Hey, look, he's flashing a red spot on that convertible. Come on. He sees us, Joe. He's pulling away. Get that gas pedal down to the floor. Go already there. He's turning off right. Hit the siren. I'll get the light. We're gaining a little, Ben. Next corner to the left. Where'd he go? The fancy driver. Try the alley up ahead to the left here. Must have turned up that cross street. Get through the alley and double back on him. Right. There he is, Ben. Look out. Watch it, Joe. Watch it. He's going to ram us. We got hit just in front of the rear bumper. Our car was forced into the curbing and it turned over. He was real lucky. He kept right on going. But this time, Ben and I were sharing the luck. All we got out of it was a couple of nasty cracks in the head and a few bruises, but it was enough to keep us in a hospital under observation for a day. By this time, Ed Backstrand was fuming. So were the newspapers. During the day we spent in the hospital, a red light bandit went on a real blitz. He pulled six more jobs, one liquor store, two residential holdups, and three car robberies. Five of the six victims were slugged and beaten. Davis and Griffin had taken over for Ben and me, and by the time we got back on the job, they'd built up a lead for us. We've been working with Wilkerson up in auto theft, Joe. He's used four stolen cars already. We got the makes and numbers on each one of them. How about the dark sedan he was driving when he rammed us? The boys picked it up this morning out on Sepulveda. We're checking it for prints now. Oh, that's fine, Dave. You got any description on the guy yet? No luck there, Joe. He works too fast. Nothing at all? The same as you had. Tall, black hair, big hands. Loves to use them. Friday, Romero, got a minute? Okay, Skipper. Check you later, honey. Sure thing, boys. Sit down. How do you feel? Pretty fair, Ed. A little stiff here and there. All right, did Davis fill you in? Up to date. Okay, I just called the doctor who's handling Sally Wilder, Pete's girlfriend, you remember? Oh, yeah. She's been in pretty bad shape since we found her up there on Summit Road. This morning she took a turn for the better. She's conscious and her doctor thinks she might be able to talk to us a little bit. Good, when? About an hour. I cleared it with the doctor and with her family. You'll only be able to stay a couple of minutes to make the most of them. That's all. All right, Ed. We'll check with you later. 
Hey, Joe. Ben, Hmm? here's some mail came for you fellas while you were gone. Oh, thank you, Mike. We're going over to the county hospital. We ought to be back in a couple hours. Okay. Say, there's been a couple of phone calls, too. Yeah, anything important? I don't think so. The guy just called to say hello. Said his name was Johnny Savage. Just called to say hello. I presume you men are aware of the girl's critical condition. Yeah, that's right, Dr. Froman. We saw her before she was taken here at the hospital. Ah, yes. Uh, You understand, of course, that you'll be able to see her for only a few minutes, and please try your best not to excite her, huh? Right, Doctor. Sally isn't able to talk. Bad mouth and face injuries. So your questions will have to be answered simply yes or no and nod of the head. Okay, we got you. We only have a few questions, and we want to know if she can identify the man who beat her from these pictures we've got here. All right, Sergeant. This way, please. Thank you. Sally, these gentlemen are from the police department. They'd like to ask you a few questions. Uh, uh, now, there's no need to be nervous or afraid. Just simply nod your head, yes or no. Now, that's fine. All right, Sergeant. Uh, Sally, did you see the man who attacked you? Yes. She says yes. Did you get a good look at his face? You did. All right, Sally, now you can answer these three together, just yes or no. Was he tall? Did he have dark hair? Did he have large hands? He did. Ben. Oh, yeah, Jim. Hand me the folder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, there's just one more thing, Sally. I'm going to show you some pictures now. Take all the time you want before you make up your mind about each one. If you recognize any one of these men as the person who attacked you, just nod your head. All right? All right, fine. Right, good. Here's the first one. No? All right. Here's the next one. No. Uh, how about this one? No? All right. Here's another you recognize him? This was the man? Are you sure, Sally? Thank you. That's all. Let's go. Did you uh, find what you wanted, Sergeant? Yes, Doctor, we did. Here, it's this one. Hmm. Nice-looking chap. Who is he, Sergeant? His name's Savage, Dr. Froman. Johnny Savage. When we got back to the office, we checked in with Ed Backstrand. In five minutes, an all-points bulletin and a full description of the suspect was broadcast to every radio car, every motorcycle officer, to every sheriff and law enforcement agency in Los Angeles and Southern California. By nightfall, a manhunt was on. More than a dozen extra patrol units were called in for duty that night, and when they pulled out of the police garage, the name, the picture, and the full description of Johnny Savage was in the possession of every officer. The same for the patrolmen. Whether they walked a beat downtown or out in the residential areas, the picture of Johnny Savage went with them. Everything was done that could be done. On the second night of the manhunt, far out on the edge of town, Johnny Savage, the red light bandit, got his 12th victim, a 63-year-old storekeeper. Attention, all units. 939 Markham Street, near Clark. 211 and slugging, code 3. Ambulance dispatched. All units. 939 Markham Street, near Clark. Here it is, Skipper. Tie in. What'd you get? Wilkerson lifted the prints off that black sedan that Ram Joe and me. Yeah? They belong to Johnny Savage. Yeah, good. That storekeeper last night. It is Savage, all right. Victim identified him from his mug. All right. We got enough of this Savage guy to put him a knife for life. All we have to do now is to get him. Now, look, the way we figure it, Ed, this red light bandit is using stolen cars with coal plates, so there's no way of tracking down the cars at regular commercial garages. He's got to be running private garages someplace around town. All right, let's get the neighborhood patrolman on the job. Advertise it. All over town. It's a city ordinance, isn't it? People who rent private garages are bound by law to register the car and license number with the police. 
Start a campaign if you want, but find those cars. Right. And wait a minute. Hello, Backstrand. Yeah? When? I see. Yeah, thanks. What is it, Ed? It was the hospital. About the girl, Sally. Sally Wilder? What about her? She died five minutes ago. That night, everybody went back on the job as usual. The cruiser cars, the patrolmen, the motorcycle officers, and about a dozen decoy cars. Armed police women riding alone in cars or parked in lonely spots with a police officer escort. Our car, 80K, was still in the garage for repairs, so they assigned us another one. And we started to make the rounds. Everything was usual. Except one thing. We weren't tracking down just a thief anymore or a sadist who liked to beat people's faces in. We were out to get a murderer. It was a perfect night for the suspect. Dark, no moon. I gave Ben two to one odds and I put up five dollars that we'd get Savage that night. I lost the five dollars. We cruised until seven the next morning, but there wasn't even a nibble. We had breakfast at the Federal Cafe, a little restaurant down the street from the city hall, and it was about 8.15 when we got back to the office. We were pretty tired. Robert Detail, Romero. I would like to speak to Sergeant Friday. Just a minute. For you, Joe. Okay, thanks. Friday talking. Sergeant Friday, I want to talk to you. Well, I'm listening. Go ahead. I mean, I want to talk to you in person as soon as possible. Can't you tell me over the phone? What is it? I cannot tell you over the phone. It is very important. Can you come now? Well, now, look, mister, I'm awful sorry, but we're very busy down... 554 Ramona Avenue. Can you come now? Well, what's this all about? Who is this speaking? My name is Carl Savage. My son's name is John. Here it is, Joe. Neat-looking little place. Yeah. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday. You Mr. Savage? Yeah, come in. Okay. This is my partner, Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I will be brief, gentlemen. I am the father of John Savage. I wish for you to catch him. I, I will help the, you. I noticed the name on the mailbox outside, Mr. Savage. You changed your name lately? I changed my name ten years ago when John first got into trouble. My own name I had to change. The shame. Always from him, my son. Shame. Mr. Savage, has your son been home since he got out of prison? Yeah, many times, to ask for money. I would not give him any, so he struck me. Last night, I read in the newspaper, the little girl he beat up. She is dead. Then I make up my mind. Do you know where your son is now, Mr. Savage? Not now, no. But our garage has a car in there. It is not his, I know. Also in the garage, I find many license plates. I find spotlights with red glass lens. But you don't have any idea where we could find him. No, but he will come back. He always comes back for money. We're going to station an officer here in the house, Mr. Savage. Anything you want, if it will catch him. He's bad, Sergeant. Like something poison. Or all true, he's bad. See a sewing basket over him, Mr. Savage. The wife live here with you? Ten days ago, before this starts... I bury Gertrude, my wife, his mother. Sergeant, for ten years she is sick, but for ten years she stays alive to see him from prison. Ten days ago, she died. He did not even come to the funeral. Does your son have any idea that you might call us? No, no, I don't think so. But when you catch him, give me a gun. With my own two hands... I will kill him. 
Johnny Savage. Before we left, we called Ed Backstrand and we brought him up to date. He sent three detectives out to relieve us, Davis, Griffin, and Marsh. We told them to keep an eye on the house and the stolen car in the garage. That night after dinner, Ed Backstrand, Ben and I went out and relieved them. We parked the cruiser car in the garage next door, and then we took up our post. Carl Savage had a light supper, and then he went to bed about nine. The three of us sat at the front windows in the darkened house, and we waited. Ben kept his eye on the garage. Outside, across the city, the manhunt continued as usual. Three hours went by. The waiting got monotonous. Brandy, Romero, look at life, will you? Oh, yes, Skipper, I'm sorry. That clock's enough to put anybody to sleep. Uh, what time you got? 12.23 a.m. Thanks. The clock kept ticking. We were tired. We took turns keeping each other awake. At ten minutes past two, I looked at my watch, and then I settled back and tried to find some kind of a comfortable position. They started so faintly, it was just like the ticking of the clock. Same rhythm. And then they came closer, and the sounds got out of rhythm. Backstrand's head came up with a snap. Freddy, hmm? Romero, you hear that? Yeah, Ed. Get up to the window, watch the curtains. You see anything? Yeah. Yeah, somebody's coming. Savage? Can't tell. Wait a minute, he's slowing down. He's going up the driveway to the garage. He's going inside. That's him. Come on. Watch it, he spotted us. He went over that fence into the yard. There he is, Friday. You hit him, Joe. Maybe. He's going for the street. He's headed for that car, Ed, that sedan up on the corner there. Yeah, Romero, go back and get the car. Right, Skeeter. Must have parked up the block before he came around. Where's Romero? I don't know. Oh, here he comes now. All right, let's go. Get that radio on, Joe. It's already on, Ed. All right, give him a call. Any sign yet? No, nothing so far. Next corner to the right, Ben. Unit 80K to control 4. 80K to control 4. Control 4 to unit 80K. Go ahead. Clear and keep frequency 4 open. This is an emergency. 80K, roger. Frequency 4, open and clear. Attention all units on frequency 4. Stand by. 80K, go ahead. Yeah, there he is, Friday up ahead. Dark blue sedan. Control 4. We are in pursuit of the possible red light bandit. Suspect is driving a dark blue 1949 sedan. License number in the 7 column. 61 Robert 784. Use caution. Suspect is armed. Code 3. Attention, all units. Attention, all units. Unit 80K now pursuing possible red light bandit. Suspect is driving a dark blue 1949 sedan. License number in the 7 column. 61 Robert 784. Use caution. Suspect is armed. Code 3. Your location, 80K. Control 4. We are headed east on Wilshire Boulevard, crossing La Brea. Attention, all units. Watch it, Romero. Don't lose him. I see him, Skipper. Control 4. Still pursuing red light bandit. Headed east on Wilshire. Now crossing Rossmore. Attention, all units. Suspect is still headed east on Wilshire. Now crossing Rossmore. Suspect is armed. Use caution. Code 3. That truck pulling out of the head. Hit the siren, will you, Skipper? Yeah. Hold on to tight squeeze. Down. Control 4. Suspect headed east on Wilshire, crossing Western Avenue, closing in. There he goes. To go right down Sherman Alley. It's a dead end. Yeah. 
Control four. Suspect turns south into Sherman Alley, closing in on suspect. Attention, all units. Suspect has turned south into Sherman Alley. Suspect is trapped. Converge on Sherman Alley. There he is, Skipper. Pulling up ahead. He's jumping out. All right, take the mic, will you, Ed? Here. Come on, Ben. I'll direct the other cars in. If you need help, holler. All right, Skipper. All right, which way to go, Ben? Down between those buildings. Come on. Starting up the back fire escape. All right, keep him busy. All right, Savage, come on down. He wants to go the rough way. One more chance, Savage. Come on down. No use, Joe. He's heading up for the roof. Come on. Huh. He climbs like a monkey. Come on, let's get him. Yeah, come on. Right, here, I'll give you a hand. Here, here's the rough part. Right, where'd he go? I don't know. Let's spread out. All right, Savage, you're through. Throw your gun out. Come out with your hands up. Watch it, Joe. He's running for the edge. He's going to jump. I'll get him. All right. Oh, guy back here. Lousy copper, you dirty lousy copper. I'll kill you, man. You're through, Savage. You're through. Good, Joe. Yeah. Throw the cuffs on, will you? You just betcha. Hmm. You want a smoke? Yeah, I can sure use a one. Thanks. Hmm. Quiet up here. Yeah. I was just thinking. Well? Carl Savage, this guy's father. Mm-hmm. What about him? Nothing. What would you do, Ben, if your son was a murderer? The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. John Savage was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard the sixth in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Patrol Officer Robert Steele of the Montana State Highway Patrol, who on the morning of November 2nd, 1947, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. This is a story that finds Friday and Romero battling a truly savage opponent. Pun fully intended. This is an odd one in some ways for Dragnet because Johnny Savage's appearance in the office right before the bandit goes to work clued in the audience that this is the bad guy. But it seemed to take half the episodes for the detectives to catch up, at least in terms of narrowing in on him as the suspect. 
Of course, that's understandable, because in real life, you don't think you're on a radio program where everybody who shows up has some significance to the plot. But this idea of a story where the audience gets tipped to who the criminal is uh, way before the detectives, I don't think that ever happens in another episode. I did question the opening narration, which described him as a genius. Maybe the perpetrator in the real-life case on which this was a base was some sort of criminal genius, but I didn't see any evidence uh, of what we get in this story. The red light is a good plan, but it doesn't require any brilliance. Neither do stealing cars and using cold plates. Car thieves do that all the time. And he did a lot of stupid things like the call to Romero and Friday when they're hospital. He just seems like a brutal thug with a gimmick. The car chase scene and Friday and Romero being injured in the crash was unusual, but I thought it was a good uh, stroke. Of course, this sort of thing rarely happens in car chases on television. But you get a reminder that these are dangerous not just for bystanders or even the people being chased, but for the officers who are often among the very best and most experienced drivers. It definitely reflected how the show would aim to be grounded and where our heroes could encounter some realistic challenges that would not really happen on other programs. Savage's father turning him in uh, and what he told reflected that Savage was just all-around awful to everyone, including his own mother. Friday's question at the end doesn't actually offer answers about what you do with a son who was a killer. Indeed, it's safe to say that with all policemen that they encounter some really horrible things that lead them to question what they would do if they had to deal with this in their own lives. And all they can really do is hope that that never happens. Listener comments and feedback now. And we go to YouTube where regarding the nickel-plated gun, we have a comment. Good to have Dragnet back. Maybe when it comes for uh, Ben Romero to leave the series, I really think the great Barton Yarbrough needs a week-long salute and retrospective of his other radio work. Anyway, that last episode won't happen for quite a while, so you can think about it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the comment, and it's a good idea. It's a bit of a challenge because Yarborough's most famous other work was as Doc on I Love a Mystery, where we hardly have any complete serials at all for that series. And a lot of the programs that he was on were produced by Carlton Morse. And I tend to make it a policy not to do Carlton Morse programs as part of a podcast. The reason for that, really briefly, is that Morse, after going to an old-time radio convention, and I think this was in the 80s or 90s, he went and asserted copyright over all of the old programs that he put out. Now, I, I personally don't think that had any legal effect, but 
I make it a policy that if people are actively asserting copyright over something, I'm just not going to mess with it. Now, whether they're right or wrong, it's just not worth the aggravation. And so, unfortunately, yeah, I really wouldn't be able to do, like, I Love a Mystery or One Man's Family or anything like that. Now, there are other works, and I, I will think about this, and I might also consider doing some Barton Yarborough app extras. Uh, now, of course, we had Dragnet for six years, and we did all sorts of uh, app extras for Jack Webb, and I've got a few that I didn't have back then, but I might consider mixing in a few uh, Barton Yarborough app extras for those of you who are on our app or also uh, Patreon supporters at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for the comment, and I'll definitely give it some more thought. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Robert, Patreon supporter since August 2016, currently supporting the show at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Robert. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. Tomorrow, we'll be bringing you public domain video theater with an episode of U.S. Marshall. And you can watch at videotheater.greatdetectives.net or uh, if you'd prefer on our YouTube channel at youtube.greatdetectives.net. And we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of Dragnet, but join us back here on Monday for the adventures of Sam Spade where... Yes, it happened last night. I was sitting home with a book of Plato's dialogues when the bell rang most energetically. Mm -hmm. It proved to be a man named Strutt. George P. Strutt, S-T-R-U-T-T. Two T. A wild-haired, wild-eyed individual he was, Mr. Speed. Yes. Stryker, he says, Donald O. Stryker. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd hardly nodded when he grabbed me by the necktie. Ha, he said, just like that. Ha? Ha, mm-hmm. Mr. Stryker, ha. I'm in time, then. You can still save yourself. And he shoved this at me. Oh, what's that? A picture of a girl, a young and rather pretty girl... Out from a newspaper. Oh, yes. No name or identification. Beware this girl, Stryker, he said. Beware the siren song she sings. Stryker, he said. And he cinched up even harder on my necktie. Yes? Stryker, you are number six. I am five and four are doomed before us. Beware, Stryker, beware this girl. This sinister red-haired harpy. This handmaiden of the dark angel. Well, that's quite a speech. A curtain speech, Mr. Spade. For with that, he let go my necktie and ran off down the hall. Somehow, somehow after that, Plato didn't seem quite the same. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.